This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am Alex Fitton, your host. And today we're going to get to hear from Miss Julie Marvin. I am so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Julie is an adoptive mom and she's also an occupational therapist. And she's going to talk to us all about the things that our, uh, our kids from hard places deal with and struggle with and what they go through and how occupational therapy can really help. And she even gives us some home tips for what we can do with our sensory kids and just kids who see the world differently because of their experiences. And I I just cannot wait for you guys to get to know her story and get to know her ideas and her knowledge throughout this episode. So on that note, let's jump right into my interview with Miss Julie Marvin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to my guest today because she's the real MVP and that she actually puts up with my crazy kid. So hi, Julie. How's it going? <laughs> Hello. It's going well. Yeah. Well, um, that's good. I always, you know, I record in the evenings. And so uh, I usually joke with all the moms that this is like our zone out time. And so it's kind of funny that we're like thinking about serious stuff now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually just lo- I locked the door to my bedroom so that nobody would come in. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. You can have like a glass of wine. <laughs> my husband is out there, though. You're yeah. not alone. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. You'd be like, see ya, honey. Good luck. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, okay. Tell us, introduce us to your family a little bit. Okay. Well, um, I'm Julie, and I have been married to my husband, Michael, for 17 years. Um, I have three kids. I have two bio kids that are 13 and 12 and then we adopted Gracie and she is seven um and she's kind of like the little princess of the family (laughs) I love it (laughs) how old was she when you got her um she was 15 months old when we adopted her okay awesome yeah so remind me again so what's the age difference between your youngest bio and Gracie Almost five years. Okay, so there's there's they kind of a gap there. A mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. And so she was an international adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was adopted from China. Um, that's so super cool. We so we've had a few. Thing. Yeah. So the the long, tedious, expensive international thing. Um, yes. So on that note, yeah, let's hear about that a little bit. What what is y'all's adoption story? Kind of from the beginning. Why did you get into this, and where are you now? Well, um, I definitely wasn't one of those people who, um, knew they wanted to, to adopt from like a young age or grew up knowing that adoption was on their heart. Um, um, we'll talk about this later, but I'm, I'm an occupational therapist and I work at a clinic in town that, um, is very into serving, um, children in hard places and, um, very into missions. Um, so I started working around people that had adopted and who had a heart for the orphan, which opened my eyes to that. And I started working there after I had had my kids. And so, um, that was part of what kind of got me thinking about adoption. Um, and then, all of the devastation that happened in Haiti and watching all the news stories and all the children who were displaced, all of it kind of started just like weighing on me and making me think, you know, we were so blessed and that we could share that with a child. And so that's kind of what got us thinking that maybe we could open up our home to another child. Um, So anyway, we um, filled out all the paperwork and were on target to adopt a little boy from Ethiopia. And we were on a wait list for a really long time. 
And um, my boss actually at Children's Therapy Team asked if she could have another coworker who's her and her husband work in adoptions um, start sending me a waiting list every month of children um, through their agency that they worked for. And nothing was moving with Ethiopia at the time. So I was like, well, it wouldn't hurt to look. Um, so we looked for a few months and then one day I woke up to an email from Marvin and it said, um, look at this little girl's file. I've already put her on hold for you. If you don't adopt her, I'm going to. Wow. So that's how we got our Gracie girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So was that kind of a, like a kick in the pants for you guys or did you, did you just fall in love with her when you saw her or was it like, I got to get this girl or, well, we fell in love with her when we saw her. Um, I had actually a couple of months earlier seen a picture of a little boy on the wait list and he was missing a hand. And so I was like, we could totally do that um, special need with me being an occupational therapist. It was kind of like, that's not that big of a deal. Um, I could teach a kid to do things one handed, you know, not a big deal for me. But um, by the time we inquired about him, he had already been um, spoken for. And so I think Marvin knew that. I was open to that special need. And so whenever he saw um, Gracie on the wait list, he went ahead and jumped on that for us. And I'm very thankful that he did for sure. Yeah. So how old was she when you saw that picture? Nine months old. So it took you how? Well, actually in the picture, she was six months old, I think, because it took us about nine months to go through all of it and get her. So it really didn't take us as long as it takes a lot of people, but we had already been on the wait list for Ethiopia for like ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. We had a lot of, um, we had a lot of the paperwork kind of already done um, because we didn't have to like redo our home study and everything. Um, We just had to edit it a little bit and yeah, changes. Oh gosh, that's nice. I, those home studies are beasts. A booger. Yeah. So, okay. So you went international and you guys, so you said it was about a nine month process. Did you get to see her before, you know, you adopted her? Did you get to go visit or was it just you saw her and then Mm -hmm. you took her home? I saw the first pictures. There were like three pictures. And then, so that was in May. And then in December, we got some updated pictures and then we went and got her in March. That is, that's crazy. And they kind of throw them at you and run. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've heard that. That's what it feels like. And you're like chasing after them. Like, what does she eat? What does she (laughs) like? I need some help. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so she was old enough to have that, like that whole stranger danger thing. So what was attachment like? I always am fascinated to hear about attachment stuff with, with my guests who are international adoptive mamas, because that's so foreign to me. I mean, obviously attachment is no joke with foster care either, but you know, with international, Mm -hmm. you often have a language barrier. You have, you know, just the whole like long wait and cut different customs and different processes and then getting them home, getting visa like that just makes my head hurt. So what was that like for you guys? And then on top of that, you're like, Oh, and we're your parents now, you know? Yeah. Um, the first day was really sad. She cried a lot. Um, but I really, we really, if you can say lucked out, we really lucked out. I mean, I like we got her at a really good time. Um, cause you know, whenever you're adopting a child, no matter how old they are, you take them back to an infant level right? and feed them, take care of all their needs. And so she was still young enough to, for that to be like kind of a natural thing to do, um, to, you know, feed her, 
you know, take care of all her needs. And then I think 15 months was a good age because also she hadn't started talking a lot in her native language. Um, so she picked up on English really quickly, I think. Um, she definitely had her words. She said a lot um, that we figured out. She would say milk a lot and just kind of the words that a regular 15-month-old would say in their language. Um, but she has a huge personality. Um, and she had a huge personality when we got her. Um, and I remember being in China and looking around at all the other little kids and seeing kind of their shut down, glazed over looks on their faces as they were like attached to their mothers. And Gracie was down running around saying ni hao to everybody. <laughs> um, and she's never stopped. Yeah. Um, like everybody knows Gracie and Gracie knows everybody anywhere I go. <laughs> she is just a really friendly, happy little girl. She's um, like the most popular member of your family. Yes, <laughs> by far. I yes. It. I mean, people come up to me at her school, like other parents of kids and they're like, Oh, you're Gracie's mom. And I'm like, yeah, who are you? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, she said that, um, you live on this street and that, she, you sh I should bring my daughter over for a play date. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sure. That's awesome. Come on over. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but I mean, that was also kind of one of those things to where I had to take a step back and try to realize, like, you know, is this like reactive attachment-y stuff, you know? Because, you know, you're supposed to really watch out for, you know, you're supposed to make them only want to come to you for anything. Right. And so at first it was like, okay, is she happy with anybody? Or is this just her personality? Right. Because there's always that fear. Like, is she mom mm -hmm. shopping or is she just friendly, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was... I was hyper vigilant about everything at the beginning because they scare you to death kind of in the education and, and you need to be scared because you need to be ready for anything. Um, but that was one of the things since she was so outgoing, just determining what was okay and what was not. Um, but as you know, we've had her almost six years now and, she definitely knows who to come to when she's sad or when she needs, you know, emotional um, support. But she definitely is a firecracker. I love hearing that. always was. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I love hearing that, though, when, when adoptive kids are fighters and they don't just say, like, I, you know, I give up or I give in when they're like, no, 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 you're going to pay attention to me. You're going to see me. I am not, you know, mm -hmm. the victim here. And, well, and I, I really think that that's probably got her what she needed in the orphanage. Right. Um, I think she probably demanded attention. And that's a survival skill. I mean, that's really, mm -hmm. it's cool. And I know that, you know, I know that uh, parents have trouble with um, survival skills that these kids figure out you know, we'll, we'll keep them alive quite literally in some situations. And then when they come home, those survival skills are not needed anymore, but they're still acted on. So did you guys ever struggle with those things or was it always funny and cute? I feel like it was always funny and cute to everybody here, but it could have gone another way. I think if she would have maybe come home to a different family with littler kids. Yeah. If that makes sense. So my kids were already, when she came home, I had a kindergartner and a second grader. So it wasn't like she had to fight for attention with like a, a one or a two year old, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. You know, my other kids kind of could take care of themselves. And, and I mean, they thought she was the greatest thing ever and they, you know, tended to her. And um, so I could see where it could have caused more problems if she had come to a different environment. 
that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that that's an interesting take on things just that, I mean, that the family environment does make a difference, not better or worse necessarily, but just different. I might have had to handle things a little bit differently with her if I had little kids, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. When it makes me think about my own situation, just with our oldest, and he came in to a situation where all of the siblings were younger than him, and uh, those behaviors continued, you know, those survival instincts. And so now I'm like, well, is that why? (laughs) Yeah. Um, never know. Yeah, for sure. So when, I mean, and you had mentioned earlier that you were looking at kids who had like physical defects. And I know in China, that's very common in their adoption. So does she have anything? Mm -hmm. She's missing her right hand. Okay. So do you think, I mean, obviously she writes with her left hand though. Do you think that that was something Mm -hmm. that she had to learn or do you think she was naturally left-handed and that's just really lucky if she was? (laughs) I really, I've, you know, kind of hyper analyzed that too. (laughs) Um, Being an occupational therapist, fine motor skills are a big piece of the pie. Um, So, I mean, I really watched her and analyzed her while we were in China. And she so uses her right arm that it makes me think she probably was going to be right-handed. Um, because she just uses it so naturally, um, with everything she does as a helper. Um, so anyway, like I had gone into this, like with all these plans of all the ways I'm, I was going to need to help her learn to do all the things that take two hands. And I have had to teach her one or two things. Like, she has just figured everything else out all by herself. Wow. Um, it's amazing to watch. It really is. Like, I I had just made all of these plans, and she just didn't need that. Um, and, you know, I'm used to, as a therapist, people that don't use both of their hands usually have some neurological issue. You know, they've had either cerebral palsy or a brain injury or a stroke, something to make them not use that side. And, you know, that's really their brain not working, not, you know, nothing's wrong with Gracie's brain. She just was born with one hand missing. And so her brain still tells that arm what to do. Um, And it's just really amazing to see what all she can do. Um, I had actually a coworker was over here the other day at my house and Gracie, I told Gracie to go get ready for church and she walked in and she just like any other kid was buttoning up her shirt, normal, tiny buttons. And like, it was no big deal. And it's just kind of mind boggling that it's just what she can do. Um, we are still working on shoe tying becoming, a, you know, more efficient because it takes her a long time to tie her shoes. So we don't do it a whole lot because usually when you need to tie your shoes, you're needing to leave the house right. quickly in, in my house. Um, <laughs> so that's something it, she wrote it on her New Year's resolutions at school is that she wanted to learn to tie her shoes this year. So I guess her OT mom needs to get on the ball and work on that a little bit more she just brings it to you and puts the list in front of you and stares at you yeah that's awesome here's my here's my resolution bomb get on it oh man I love that so and I I I love that you have been specifically able to help her in that area and it sounds like maybe she didn't need as much trauma help from an occupational therapy standpoint but you would have been prepared to help with that as well right oh yeah yeah, um, and that's something that I am really glad to, it's it's like another tool in my tool belt as an occupational therapist now that I've gone through like all the training for adoption because we do service a lot of children who have all the special um, circumstances from all the trauma they've gone through Um from being adopted internationally or through the foster care system. Um, And it it looks a lot different than how you would treat 
a child who hadn't been through all that trauma. Um, but until you kind of go through the training, it's hard to wrap your brain around the differences. Um, so I really like having the additional skill set to help those kids. And there are several clinicians at our clinic that have adopted children who have gone through all the training. Um, and it's really nice to be able to help families in the ways that they need to be helped um, when they're walking through that process of trying to get help for their kids. Absolutely. I mean, and our family being one of those, and I, that was something I was going to ask. It's interesting that you said that there are other clinicians at your, where you work that have adopted. Cause I was going to ask, are you like the resident person that people ask for help from? Or, <laughs> but I guess if you're um, not alone, I, I mean, yeah, there are several of us that have adopted children. Um, I'm trying to think of just how many, um, several, I mean, I would say, more than five. Um, and so we do kind of take that into consideration whenever um, we're taking in referrals. I know that whenever the girl that works referrals sees on some intake paperwork that a child um, is, has been adopted, she'll kind of them in the right direction um, towards somebody that has more experience in that area. Wow. Especially if it's like a behavioral situation. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's fascinating. Cause I mean, I, I didn't realize that. And I mean, I'm sure that that happened with us too, which is really cool that, cause I, I think when we first started seeing you guys, I didn't know that you had adopted until I like friended you on Facebook or something. And then I was like, that girl does not look like them. <laughs> they don't really fit together. <laughs> Even though people that know Gracie say that she's more me than my other kids. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So let's, while we're kind of talking about OT, so let's jump into that a little bit more. So what do you think is the most common, common occupational therapy issue that you see from adopted kids? Um. A lot of times the attachment and bonding and trauma piece comes out in um, sensory needs. Um, you know, sometimes when a kid can't self-soothe or maybe self-soothe in a way that isn't really, um, I don't know, what's a good way to say it, socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, you know, some kids like really like bang their heads and. Um, you know, shake their heads back and forth really hard. And, um, they've had to find ways to self-soothe sometimes alone when they're little. Yeah. Um, and that can look wrong in a family environment. And so we have to guide these children and help them figure out other ways to meet those needs. And we have to guide the families um, in ways that they can help them. Yeah. Um, Cause they didn't, a lot of times didn't get held and nurtured and fed with really good eye contact as an infant and all of the things that, we kind of take for granted whenever we're caring for infants. Um, and that's a big piece of development as a child that is hard to kind of go back and pick up on when a kid gets older. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times these kids don't feel safe and secure and, um, that results in like tantrums. Um, so a lot of times we teach the parents how to better make the kid feel safe and in control of their life so that they don't need to have as many tantrums. Um, anything from calming mechanisms 
to like, you know, when a kid gets a little bit older, having like a visual schedule to where they know what's going to happen that day and they know what's coming next and when it's coming, um, because that can make them feel more in control where they felt out of control in their life in the past. Wow. And that's really fascinating. And I think that, you know, it's important to remember that a lot of, and I, I speak from experience, you know, we went through and we're, I mean, specifically talking about rock, both of, both of my adopted kids have been in OT rock with uh, Miss Julie here for over a year now, which is really fun. Um, he calls her Juju, which is adorable. It really is. He melts my heart every <laughs> Thursday. It's pretty funny. He has like, I think he has a little crush on all of you guys. <laughs> and it's pretty, it's pretty cute to watch him like flirt his little heart out. But oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's been, I mean, this is something that I had no idea about at all. I mean, I think I had maybe heard of sensory issues, but all I knew is I had a kid that screamed all the time and couldn't self soothe. I knew that, but. I didn't know what occupational therapy was a or b how it could help my adopted kid from trauma, both of them. And I have a teenager who, you know, occupational therapy helped him a lot with fear instincts and um, inappropriate reactions to situations and stuff like that. So maybe it might be helpful. And I know that this is like second nature for you, but maybe help us understand exactly what occupational therapy is and how you can help different age ranges. Yeah. Um, a lot of times kids will come in for occupational therapy that have been adopted just because their skills are not age appropriate. Um, they haven't kept up with their skills, um, maybe because they're jumping from like foster care to foster care or um, just maybe, you know, they were in a bad environment whenever they were young and didn't have the tools they needed to learn. Um, but a lot of times they'll come in for an evaluation. Um, we look at a variety of skills. Occupational therapy is very broad. Um, so I'll always evaluate a child's fine motor skills. Um, I'll always look at their visual perceptual skills. I'll always look at their self-care skills. And I'll always look at their sensory processing skills. And that's kind of a full evaluation that I would do on a child. So sometimes people come in just for, you know, their developmental skills. Um, like their baby's not crawling yet at a certain age or not sitting up. Um, or um, their six-year-old is having trouble with handwriting. Um, and as I, you know, look at those skills, I'll notice other things that the parents might not even really understand, like their sensory processing skills, or I'll start talking to the parent and they'll be like, he just can't sit still long enough to finish an activity or, um, he gets frustrated super quickly. And, um, if he's not successful at a task and so, what started as just a fine motor assessment, I'll notice some sensory processing issues. Um, and sometimes if you take care of the sensory, then the, the developmental skills will start coming a lot quicker. Um, and so this is with kids who haven't come from hard places too. But a lot of times kids that have um, come from hard places they'll need some help with their sensory processing skills they'll need to learn how to deal with their emotions and learn how to have a longer attention span um and we, we give them tools and opportunities and give parents the tools that they need to develop these um sensory processing skills that can make them a lot more successful in life and in school um and it's really, I mean, I love OT. I wouldn't do anything else for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's fascinating just to watch to watch um, Rock go through it. And I, I feel like I learn something new every time I talk to you or uh, Miss Kara, which is his other OT. But 
I asked that question because there, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that OT could benefit my, my child. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. um, I think in my mind, I thought it was like for people that had broken their arm and needed to learn how to write again or something like that. Like I didn't realize how broad it was. I didn't realize the sensory issues. And I think that, I think that a lot of people don't, or at least I want to think that at least I want to think that I'm not the only like clueless well, mom. I definitely, <laughs> no, I definitely feel like not a lot of people know what occupational therapy is unless they've needed it. And like, even then, I mean, I don't know how many times people are like, so you help people get a job, you know, like <laughs> occupational therapy. And so, you know, everybody knows what physical therapy is and everybody knows what speech therapy is, but occupational therapy we have to get out there and educate people on what we do um, and how we can help. But it is, um, it's pretty key. Like if a kid doesn't have good sensory processing skills, it's hard for the physical therapist to be able to do their job. And it's hard for the speech therapist to be able to do their job. So we have to help these kids get to their, we call it the optimal level of arousal if they can't get to this optimal level of arousal where they can sit and attend, then it's hard for them to learn. Um, it's hard for them to, you know, just participate in day-to-day family life if they're always super hyper or super emotional. And then on the other spectrum, a kid that's like at a very low registration level, um, some kids need to be amped up a little bit so that they can function and learn. Um, so it's all very interesting for yeah. sure. So you see, I mean, you see a wide variety of, um, of reactions in these kids. So maybe for those mamas that are listening and saying, Oh, I wonder if that could help mine. Maybe give us some, like if your kid is doing this, these behaviors in adopted kids, cause that's obviously our audience right now, then, then maybe they need to come see you or another occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I mean, I would definitely say like frequent temper tantrums. Um, if they can't seem to calm themselves down whenever they're upset very easily, um, on the other side of it, if they are really low, if, if it's hard for you to get them engaged or, um, excited about anything, um, those are some things that we see, um, sleep issues sometimes. And that's one of the things that we saw with Gracie, um, and I mean, it's a normal thing to see with adoption, but of, of all the behaviors that we read about and studied about and learned about, um, nighttime was pretty hard. Um, and of course we are also dealing with terrible jet lag for the first time. Um, I've since gone on many international trips and jet lag is hard stuff. And that was my first like big time time difference and coming off of that with a 15 month old was challenging, but yeah, Gracie definitely slept in a bed with somebody for the first five years that she was home. Um, whether it was us or her sister, she didn't like to be alone. Um, at nighttime, which was interesting. Cause I was just, I always thought about, you know, crib, crib after crib after crib. When you think of an orphanage, you know, but um, before they threw her at me and ran, I did get the information that she slept with a caregiver. So she had never slept by herself. Wow. Um, so that was an interesting thing. And since I've researched a little bit more, she came from a really tiny orphanage that only had like 10 kids. Um, so not what you really think of when you think of a Chinese orphanage and, or at least in my head, that's not what I pictured at all. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, it sounds like it would be very fortunate for her. Um, cause things could have been, a, yeah, things could have been a lot different for her. 
guys. I just wanted to take a quick minute to say I hope you're loving this interview with Julie Marvin as much as I did. And I just wanted to let you know about a couple of things coming up. The first of which is the Birth Mom Brunch that the Adoptive Mom Podcast is co-sponsoring with Shared Beginnings. It's coming up on National Birth Moms Day, which is May 12th this year. It's the Saturday before, the day before Mother's Day. It's going to be held in Fayetteville, and we have invitations and flyers that you can pass out or give to any birth moms that you think would love to come and be celebrated for their choice of life. If you would like to help either with a sponsorship or with just some some volunteering, then please reach out to me via Facebook or um, you can the Facebook messenger for the podcast or with alexfitton at gmail.com. That would be awesome. Secondly, I wanted to remind you guys about the Empowered to Connect simulcast coming up. You can access this anywhere across the country. It's going to be a pretty large broadcast. But if you're local to Northwest Arkansas, which is where the podcast is based out of, you're going to want to watch it at the Grove Church in Fayetteville. And to do that, you can reach out to Rachel Kirksey at rachel.kirksey, K-I-R-K-S-E-Y at gmail.com. She'll be able to hook you up with tickets and whatever else you need. You're not going to want to miss this. It includes, the tickets are pretty cheap and it includes lunch for both days. And it's just such a powerful connection. So I think that that's all I have for you guys on news for this week. So let's jump back into our interview with Miss Julie Marvin. So just back to like, I mean, this is, this is jumping back a little bit, but we were talking about attachment as a mom, you know, was there a part of you that, that felt, that felt that, uh, urge to push for, um, normalcy in her and saying like, no, it's more appropriate for you to sleep by yourself. We're going to have to learn this. And I know that especially with international adoptions, moms, are um, put in a position where they have to say, are we going to do this by the book or are we going to do this by touch kind of? And, um, and obviously you guys did just what you felt like was necessary for her, necessary for her and it's worked out great. But I feel like a lot of us moms are, and I'll give you a, for instance, you know, when I, when rock, we first got him, he only wanted to be held. He would just scream and scream and cry and cry. And there was that instinct in me to be like, no, he needs to learn to self-soothe. He can't be just held all the time. And then there was the other part of me that's saying, but that's what he needs right now. So did you ever <laughs> struggle with that when dealing with things like sleep? Honestly, like, I think it was one of those things where it came back to bite me in the butt <laughs> <laughs> because I had visited a, a mom before I went to go get Gracie, I visited a mom that had a little girl from China and she was my daughter's age, my older daughter's age. So she was seven and she, she said that she still slept with her. And I remembered thinking, what in the world? She's seven years old. Like, (laughs) what are you thinking? You know, that'll never be me. Blah, blah. You know, just that, you know situation oh, yeah. that I've learned through the years to stop saying that and quit doing. But, um, Gracie was just so happy all of the time. And so just bright. And when you would try to leave her, cause I did try several times to, you know, push it she would almost go into like this primal, like terrible, fearful place that I was like, not worth it. Yeah. Not worth it. And so anyway, what ended up happening was she made herself a sticker chart with about a million boxes on it when she was like, Almost, well, she might have been like, well, no, she's in first grade this year. So kindergarten, because it was last year. We bought a bigger house. We got them all their own rooms. It was perfect, you know. (laughs) And then she still kept, you know, in the middle of the night, she would go sleep, get in bed with my daughter. And so um, I said, well, if you start sleeping in your own bed, what would you, you know, would you like something? Is there something? And so she wanted to go to Build-A-Bear. And so she made her sticker chart herself. I didn't do it. 
one day she came in with her sticker chart and she was like, when I get a sticker in all these boxes, I get, you know, every night that I sleep in my own bed, I'm going to put a sticker and we're going to go to build a bear. So that's, I mean, it was her idea. That's hilarious. And she did it. And of course, the night she got her build a bear, she went back to my <laughs> Of course. Yeah. No, but this anyway. is hilarious that a kindergartner has this like system in place and she's telling you what her reward system will be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh my that's my kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah. But I mean, it was just one of those things that. You know, she hadn't had a lot of issues, but that was like the one issue that I just felt like was not worth pushing it on because I just felt like it was like a scary, like a legit scary thing for her for some reason. Not sure why, but so I do think it's good to use your mommy instinct for things like that. Yeah, because for sure, if you would have asked me before I went and adopted her, if she would sleep in bed with somebody for five years. I would have been like, absolutely not. Never. <laughs> but never say never. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's kind of like before your parents, you're the parenting expert. And I feel like before you're and before your adoptive parents is the same thing. You're an expert. I remember before we adopted hearing all the like, I don't want to say horror stories because obviously not everything is a horror story, but you know, hearing all of the struggles and I'm like, well, that's not going to be us. And it's so stupid looking back, like how naive we are. And I don't know why we do that, but it's so funny. No. Um, okay. So jumping back into the OT discussion a little bit more, how, um, what say a mom is in a situation where occupational therapy is not, an option or it's, uh, or just something like that. What are, or, or maybe that they don't quite qualify, even though they do have some of the same struggles. What can we be doing at home with our kids to help them in this area? Um, well, definitely. I mean, I think the world wide web, a lot of times is very helpful. If you can like kind of type in, the behaviors that your child is having. Um, I feel like the connected child book has some really good advice for um, how to deal with behaviors with adopted children. So if you can maybe kind of converge the connected child with some sensory training um, just to kind of figure out where the where the trauma meets the sensory, um, which I know to me seems kind of natural and to a person who's not educated in that it it can seem pretty complex. Um, if you just kind of look up like sensory processing issues, um, usually kids seeking out like deep pressure, calming, um, like if calming is a major issue, you need to like find them a safe place and it's usually needs to be quiet and dark and, um, a place where they can go just to calm down, um, and being kind of even though we have a tendency to want to like kind of send kids away, a lot of times a kid that's been through trauma kind of probably needs you to go to this calming place with them and be there to help them through that. They've maybe been sent away a lot right, in their right. little lives. Um, and they need to feel like, no matter how I act, this person is going to be there for me through it. Um, a lot of times they're fighting you to see how far you're going to go with them. I think, especially with the older kids, I feel like, um, cause trust is a really big part yeah. of the trauma. 
Well, and that was a big thing for, so some, our, our church did a, uh, like a gift drive for foster and adoptive families within our church body. And I threw it up there, like knowing it was a complete long shot that rock needed a weighted blanket. And I was thinking like, no one's going to buy us a weighted blanket, but I know some people know how to make them. No, somebody Mm -hmm. bought us a weighted blanket and it is like, they're absolute angels in my mind. I don't know who they are, of course, but so that's my (laughs) new thing. He loves it. And I'll take him to his room and wrap him in the blanket. If he's throwing a fit and can't calm down and give him a book. And he 100% of the time calms down within minutes. But I had to ask a counselor, like, is that me sending him away? And she said, no, because you're going with him to put it on him. So even if you leave the room Mm -hmm. afterwards, you're not saying, go do this yourself. You're helping Mm -hmm. him with it. So I was fascinated by that. Yeah. And you're giving him what he's needing. Right. For sure. That deep pressure calming um, input. And usually for kids who are, like, tantruming, they need, like, quiet, dark, deep pressure. Um, we call it proprioceptive input. Um, slow, s- rhythmical swinging um, is something else that can calm kids down. Um, white noise, like a sound machine maybe, can be calming um, to kids who have trouble with that for sure um but yeah I mean I would say for sure even if you don't think you can like afford occupational therapy if you could even just get in for an evaluation and at least consult with an occupational therapist um and kind of brainstorm through some of the issues I think it would be worth the money to be guided in the right direction and given information um absolutely for sure yeah i say that from experience it's it is worth the money i just um i know that i know that some people just can't um but also um if you really think your child needs services um if if you did call like a clinic and just there may be financial options out there that you just might not know about that um, could get your kid to qualify for different funding options within wherever you you are. I know this isn't just in Arkansas, but um, there could be, there could be something out there for you that you don't know exists. So it's worth calling. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a lot of the issues that uh, that we in the adoptive community might see in our kids boil down to a sensory processing issue. Um, and you had mentioned earlier the connected child, which we have talked about on this podcast. It's like the, um, the I won't say the Bible, but like the second Bible for adoptive parents. Yes. Um, but And you had said something about having that plus some sensory training. Are there... Uh, Are there videos or is there a good book that would be a great resource for sensory issues in these kiddos? There is. um, The Out of Sync Child is the book that I'm thinking of that I really recommend for parents to read a lot. Out of Um, Sync Child. The Out of Sync Child, Recognizing and Coping with Sensory Processing Disorder. It's kind of like the Sensory Processing Disorder Bible. Um, okay. Well, and I'm, I still, I just, I'm always so interested anytime I talk OT with anyone. Cause I have, you know, you and I have a couple of other OT friends and I'm always like, tell me more because it's, I, I never would have guessed how many issues that we see in these chil- children from hard places that OT can help with. And I, I want every adoptive mom to know that this is an option and that it's an option that's probably going to tremendously help you with your kids. Um, so on that note, are you ready to answer some closing questions? Sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. So, and I asked these of everyone, but what do you wish someone had just grabbed you by the shoulders and looked you in the eye and told you before you started this adoption journey? And I'm going to, I'm going to throw another, uh, I'm going to throw like a slash in there for you before you started this occupational therapy in regards to adopted kids journey. 
Um, definitely. So, so as an occupational therapist, getting ready to adopt a child and probably knowing way more <laughs> um, of the things that could be, that we could face. So like all of these things that you probably didn't know that you maybe could face. Yeah. Like I treat, I treat these kids. So I, 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 I had all of these things in my head, like this could go wrong. This could go wrong. This could be something we need to visit. Um, I just kind of wish I would have just kind of given it to God. That's a good one. It would have been a lot less stressful, but I also think there is a place where you need to prepare yourself for anything and hope for the best, if that makes sense, because that's just the kind of person I am. But I could have just relaxed a little bit. Like so many of the things that I had prepared for, I didn't even need to use. Um, So maybe just like relaxed a little bit and just let things flow a little bit. Instead of like looking for the issues. Yeah, instead of preparing everything ahead of time and then not even needing to have prepared for it. (laughs) I Um, think that's great advice. And I think it's great advice because it's so hard, you know, as we just do. And and really, it's, it's all out of your control. I mean, that's one of the biggest things I've... I learned through my adoption process and really parenting in general is that you don't know the child you're going to get. And so you just need to like, like give it all to God and be willing to just work with what he get, he provides and he's going to give you the kid that, you're supposed to have and then you can figure it all out after that <laughs> but yeah I I hyper analyzed everything I mean I was sitting in China just watching everything she did and um you know doing a full-on occupational therapy evaluation <laughs> the whole time Michael's like looking at me like I'm crazy I'm like okay if she falls over to that side, she doesn't know how to get back up into sitting. So we're going to figure that out. And he was like, today? (laughs) 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 I love it. That's so funny. Oh, man. So anyway, but yeah, but you definitely need to, to equip yourself to help your child for sure. But maybe just not equip your child that you don't know yet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I've never gotten that answer to that question before. So I love it. That's a great, great, great piece of advice. And so on to the, the next one. So what is something you wish you had done differently? Mm, probably just go along with that first answer and just like kind of given up the control earlier on. Um, because I like to fix everything and I like to, control everything um and just kind of giving up the control a little bit more um because it's I mean I know with domestic adoption too it's kind of all out of your hands because I saw that with you (laughs) in your adoption but I mean your paperwork is across the ocean with people who don't speak the language um you have no control over if your child is over there being fed or loved. And so it did teach me like to really lean on God more than I ever did before. Um, because I just couldn't control it. There's nothing I could do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I controlled, I could, I controlled everything I could control. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but there comes a point where there's nothing. I mean, I got my paperwork done really fast and turned in really super fast. But then there's like, you know, nothing more that you can do at that point. Yeah. And I've had someone on this podcast before just talk about the wait in between and what you what you can do with your time to not go crazy. And I know that 
that would be a uh, a big refining journey for me if I were to ever do the international route or even the domestic route in some cases, just that there mm-hmm. it's so just out the of waiting your game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And luckily and not luckily, but with us, you know, we had children to fill up our time. You know, I, I often think of the, the people who have, don't have children and they're waiting. Um, you know, I had children to take care of at home and, um, you know, we're busy and everything, homework and all the fun Mm -hmm, stuff, all the things. So, I mean, I really think it would be even harder for someone who, you know, was just literally waiting. Yeah. For that. Yeah. Hard stuff for sure. Goodness. For sure. For sure. So, okay. Um, what do you think is, what is your favorite way that your tribe supported you? Um, and I, I mean this after the, you know, the big airport party, what, you know, what happened afterwards that you just really appreciated? Um, for sure. My church family and my work family, you know, food every night, um, uh, people would come get my other kids and do fun things with them. That's um, a good one. Yeah. Um, we were just really well loved and taken care of by work family, church family, family, family. Um, yeah. Meet, just meeting those physical needs. We were so tired and it was, it was hard because like, you know, whenever I had my kids, um, my mom would come over and relieve me a lot. Like I would do the night shift with a new baby and my mom would come over in the morning and she would take the baby for, you know, two or three hours and I would go back to bed. But, you know, with all the adoption stuff, you're really supposed to meet that child's every need um, for a long time. And so we were so exhausted with the jet lag. It was just brutal because she would be up all night because it was daytime and we would kind of be up at night. You jet lag from China. You're just messed up for a while. It takes a while, but it's not an infant. Like she can get up and run around the house and get into <laughs> things. And, you know, with a baby, as long as they're not crying, you can lay them in their bed. <laughs> yeah. But with a 15 month old, there's no telling what they might do if you sleep and they're awake. So, but yeah, you couldn't really call mama. Yet. Yeah. And so that made it hard. So, but my, my mom was really good to find other ways to help us out, like with the other kids or, you know, just food and stuff. But I know she really wanted to let me sleep, but it's just different when you adopt than when you have, you know, an infant. Yeah. With the whole cocooning issue, even though you sometimes wish. <laughs> wish for some uninterrupted sleep. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's thankfully, I mean, we never had to do the cocooning thing, but it sounds like a, a trip for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't cocoon like some people cocoon, but I did try to for a long time be the only one that changed her diaper. You know, me and Michael the only one that changed her diaper, the only ones that fed her and like tried to be the only ones that like met her physical needs. Um, yeah. But, uh, well, and some people are just very, very strict about it. And, you know, I think that it's every situation is different, but sure. some people it's like, you don't even get them, you know, a spoon. Like I am mm-hmm. the only one that does that. And I mean, like I said, that that's probably very necessary in a lot of situations. Um, oh yeah. I've had friends that definitely it was necessary um, but that kind of goes back to, did I make her sleep in her own room versus, you know, it's like, you have to kind of make those calls. Absolutely. So to go along with that question, every, everyone's favorite question. Um, and I have to give the caveat that I always give where we're not calling anyone out, but a lot of support system members listen to this podcast. And I think that we're, we're trying to create a conversation that tells people what helps and what, what doesn't help and sometimes what the opposite of helps. So what do you think is a way that you were hurt or misunderstood along the way? 
I mean, we've periodically just got the question of, you know, domestic versus international, which doesn't like hurt my feelings. I th- I mean, I think some people, I just don't get offended real easily from people, but, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I don't think people mean any harm by it. Right. Um, but it's kind of like not really anybody's business kind of situation. I mean, I, and I'll just say, you know, we were just called to China. Um, but yeah, you know, just little, little statements like that or, um, Really just anything that is meant to make you doubt yourself, maybe. Um, maybe, even though I don't think that they really look at it that way. Right. Um, but just things like that can kind of rub you the wrong way. And some people get really upset by little jabs like that. Um, like I said, I am not a very easily offended person, but I mean... It's, it's really, yeah, I kind think- of none of their business <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, I understand there are a lot of children domestically that need to be adopted too, but it just makes me want to say something like, "Have you adopted a child from anywhere?" <laughs> oh yeah, I think we all have those thoughts uh, for sure. But you know, I think that. I think that's a good point is that to be on the safe side, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. A lot of people are very closed off about their, their kids stories. And obviously there is some privacy there, but I'm, I'm a lot more of an open book than a lot of other people are. And a lot of questions don't offend me where they would offend other people. Mm -hmm. And so I totally get that. Yeah. But I mean, we were so lucky that we were supported in so many by so many different groups of people we were loved on big time. That's awesome. And and in certain circles of our lives we we are around people that adoption's not the norm really. Um at work it is. But like not a lot of people at my church have adopted and man, they just love her and they did a lot for us to help bring her home. And I feel like they feel like she's kind of theirs. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah. To watch. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So, and this is the final question. So what, what is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement? If you could sum it all up for adoptive families. And again, I'm going to add like a slash to yours. So what is your biggest piece of advice and encouragement for adoptive families with kids that they just don't know what to do with? And maybe, maybe some of the things that you've said and educated us on with occupational therapy are ringing some bells and people are perking up. Like maybe that's my kid. Yeah. Um, the advice for adoptive family or for adoptive families, um, just give yourself a lot of grace for sure. Um, it's hard. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who, um, would love to help you out for sure. Um, and if this is ringing a bell in your mind, um, definitely reach out and, um, talk to your pediatrician. That's where you usually start with getting a referral for an occupational therapy evaluation. Um, And I would also say um, to maybe depending on where you are and what, what you have access to, to maybe specifically ask for someone who um, has some experience with working with children who have come from hard places. Um, Even if there isn't someone who's kind of specialized in that, you can always, I mean, an occupational therapist um, is going to recognize sensory issues in general. Um, So don't be afraid to look for help and ask for help. I love Um, that. For sure. Don't be, don't be like, don't feel shame because of these behaviors. 
um, because it's kind of normal. Yeah. Um, just remember that I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm sure no. that other people didn't either or don't. Yeah. And we want, we, we need to get your kid, your child, all the help that they need so that they can, you know, be ready to go to school and learn and grow. So that would probably be it. Give yourself grace and don't, don't be afraid to go out and find your child the help that they need. Um, And the, the OTs will help give you tools to be able to help your child also for sure. I love it. Well, um, thank you so much, Julie. And so where can we find cute pictures of Gracie? Oh, well, um, I'm on Facebook. It's Michael Julie Marvin. And then I'm also on Instagram, but it's private. But I guess I could. um, You can you can vet people out. See if they look like creepers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So. It's J Marv one two two three. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Julie, and I hope you have a good night. Where I'm so appreciative of you talking to us tonight. Yes, thanks for asking me to be on this. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.